You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be this morning, starting in verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're jumping in uh, for the first time with us, we've been tracking through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and, and what we've seen is the whole first half of this book is, is the gospel. And, and the gospel isn't this. The gospel isn't God is good, you're bad, try harder. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel is that we've been saved by grace through faith, not of our own doing, so we can't brag about it. And we've been saved, and that, that God has, is not trying to make bad people better, but that he takes dead people and makes them alive. That's what the gospel is. And the, the whole first half of Ephesians has been gospel, gospel, gospel. This is who you are in Christ. And then, then there's this turn that happens, and it's now talking about how do you live out your life in light of that gospel? Your life is going to look different because Jesus is now in your life. And the, the next few weeks, we're going to see how this unfolds in the everyday stuff of relationships in our life. When I was a kid, one of my favorite movies uh, growing up was, was The Karate Kid. And, and, and for those who have never heard of that movie, I'm so sorry. Um, it, it's, it's a story about this kid, Daniel, who gets bullied, and, and, and he meets up with this old Japanese dude, Mr. Miyagi, right, who, who teaches him karate. And, and as, a, as a 13-year-old watching this, I'm like, it was amazing, like, just doing this, oh, and I was like, yeah, I'm in, right? Like, it just, that was what he did. That was the, anyway, and, and so what happens is the whole big point of this movie was how Mr. Miyagi trains Daniel to deal with these bullies beating him up. And he, and he trains him in karate, but he trains him in a weird way. Daniel comes over to his house, and, and he has him wash cars, sand a deck, paint a fence. But Mr. Miyagi was pretty particular about it, about how you're to do it. He's like, no, paint the fence. Hey, do you guys remember this, right? right? Sand the deck, right? Wax the deck. And so he's doing all this stuff. He says, you need to do it like this. And, 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 and Daniel does these things for like a month, and he's finally so sick of it. He's like, this is ridiculous. You were going to teach me karate. Now you give me these weird rules and, and these weird chores. And then Mr. Miyagi goes to punch him. And Daniel does like, oh, oh. Remember that? It's just awesome, right? All the things that he'd been doing had been leading up to this moment to turn him into this great fighter. Mundane chores. Now we come to Ephesians chapter 5. And it's like God is setting us up in the very same way. And he takes these three normal relationships that we have, whether it be marriage or family or work, and he shows us, hey, if you do relationships like this, and now God sets these boundaries for us, saying, don't, don't just do it how you want to do it. No, 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 no. Do marriage like this. Do, do raising kids like this. Do work like this. And when you do it like this, it creates in us, it, it makes us more and more like Jesus. The, the gospel is displayed in these relationships in living color. And, and so one of the major themes in, in these relationships, the, the key that, that God's laying out saying, hey, do it like this in these relationships is in verse 21. Look at verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you want to do these relationships in a way that's going to change you and display the gospel, here is the key. Here is the do it like this. Submit to each other. 
It's, it's, a, it's gonna be the theme running through all three of these relationships. And, and that word submit, it's, it's really a military word. In the Greek, it was usually used for, for um, soldiers submitting to an officer. That when you join the army, when you join the military, you submit. You, you lose control of your schedule. The when and what you get to eat, where you go, why? Why? Because to have greater unity for the mission that they're called to, you defer a whole lot of decisions and desires. And this verse here, verse 21, is calling every one of us, hey, this is what it looks like to, to submit and why, how. It says, out of reverence for Christ. So again, you, you see the gospel in there, that because of the gospel, in response to the gospel that you've experienced in Christ, you take yourself out of the center and you put others' needs ahead of, your, ahead of your own. So today we're gonna look at marriage. What does this look like in our marriages? But as we do that, keep verse 21 out in front of you. That's the key here. Submission. Now, why would, why would submit to one another be important in marriage? Because listen, at the foundational level, self-centeredness is the main enemy of any marriage. And so as you go through these verses, you're going to see this, this double application happening. You're going to see this part where your marriage is supposed to be a display of the gospel. That's one application. But also this, in your marriage, you're going to see your desperate need for the gospel, for the Spirit to fill us. This whole ability, how we submit to each other, how we give up our comforts, our concerns to serve somebody else's interests ahead of our own, and it's not naturally easy to do. It's impossible unless the Spirit of God creates in us, grows us in this non-self-centered life. And in turn, he creates these amazing marriages. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you're going, I'm single, this has nothing to do with me. Let, let me say this, it, it might, because may, maybe God has someone for you in marriage. And here's the other way it has to do with you. Be praying for the marriages in this room, because it's not easy. We need grace. And why is that? Because anyone who's been married for longer than two weeks will tell you this. When you first get married, you marry a perfect person, right? They're just, they're just, they're just amazing. This person's amazing. And then, and then sooner the marriage, you begin to see, wait a minute, you're actually not perfect at all. And you, you begin to see selfishness and, and sin, and, and, and you begin to, both of you begin to see it. In fact, you both begin to say, hey, I see this in you. You're not as perfect. And, and it's hard, because why? Because marriage is really this. It's a sinner meeting up with a sinner, and the two of you come together. Like, that, that's not easy. Well, let's not just move past this. I mean, it, we don't often think about it in that way of, of it's two sinners coming together. It's, it's, I mean, on your honeymoon, it's not like your spouse leaned over to you and whispered softly in your ear, I'm a really big sinner. <laughs> I'm all yours for life but we can waste so much energy on external things and not come face to face with the, the sin problem at the core of every single one of our hearts. And if we don't come and look at the sin problem underneath all the other stuff that may cause strife in marriage, we don't look at that, we're putting Band-Aids on broken limbs because the root of it all, the root of all the struggles in any marriage, if there's struggles, is sin and self-centered. Now, you can hear that, and we can go one of two ways. When we hear that, the, okay, if that's what's going to cause my marriage to struggle, the, the, we can go a couple of ways. The first you can do is blame. That's a good one. It is actually the very first response and the very first marriage that was struggling, Adam and Eve. 
right? Remember, remember what happened? Adam and Eve choose not to trust God. They're like, forget God, and he, we don't trust his care for us. We're gonna take care of ourselves. They go their own way, and God comes to, to, to come after them, to, to woo them back, and he says, Adam, why'd you choose sin? And Adam's like, it's the woman you gave me. Blames right away. Maybe, maybe put me to sleep, take out another rib, woman 2.0, probably way better than that. First, like he's just instant blame. He goes to Eve and what's Eve do? Same thing. It's, the, it's Satan, the serpent tempted me. We blame. Or, or if we don't blame, we minimize. And we will, yeah, I might have a bit of sin, but have you seen theirs? We see the other person's sin as greater, which is the opposite of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, to really live out verse 21 means we look at our own sin first. We, we determine that, that this sin, this selfishness, this flaw, this weakness, this brokenness, this is more serious. I want to deal with this because I want to submit to and love them. And listen, you don't submit to your spouse because they're submittable. Is that even a word, Right? You don't do it because, oh, it's just so easy to submit to them because there's, no, 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 no. It says out of reverence for Christ we do this. So we're doing it because of the gospel. And this gospel, that's just crazy. When you think of doing it out of reverence for Christ, Jesus submitted to you and me. He made our deal bigger than his. He was in heaven doing just fine without us. And yet he comes off his throne in heaven, is born as a baby in a manger, lives 33 years of his life around this earth, teaching us who God is and what he's like. He goes to the cross and deals with your sin problem and my sin problem. And it wasn't even his fault. He was sinless. Jesus could have shown up and he could have said, hey, 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 listen, this is on you. Instead, he submits himself on the cross for our sin. And so the best response then to the problem of sin is to seek Jesus, to come under that gospel. Because listen, listen, if you get it right at the cross, you're going to get it right at your house. Let me show you that as we go through the text. We're gonna actually go backwards through it. We're gonna start in the end verses and work our way back to verse 22. So look at verse 31. Verse 31 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, it refers to Christ and the church. So the first thing we see when you, when, when you unpack these first few verses, if you're gonna look at what marriage is all about, listen, your marriage is not just about you. There's something so much bigger going on in your marriage. The glory of God is the ultimate aim. Your, your marriage is actually all about Jesus. And we see these in these other verses. We're gonna read in a bit, where verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25 say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I mean, everything in your marriage comes back to Jesus, living for the glory of Christ, living to imitate Christ, living to obey Christ, displaying the gospel is the ultimate aim of your marriage. And listen, we, we want to be happy in our marriages. I mean, God wants that for us as well, but the key to our happiness and fulfillment is not looking to ourselves. That just leads to selfishness. The key to happiness in marriage is not looking to your spouse. That just leads to codependency. But instead, the key to happiness is let's look to God. Let's look to his purposes. And what's Paul say? In verse 31, he's quoting from Genesis chapter two. And what's that say? It says this very clearly, God designed marriage from the beginning with a purpose. 
And Paul says, here's this mystery of marriage. Now, now when you see mystery in, in, in the New Testament, it means this, something in the Old Testament that, that wasn't quite clear yet, but because of the cross of Christ, we now have it more clear. He says, marriage is like that. God designed marriage. He brought man and woman together, and he says, you're going to be one flesh. This whole idea of, of, of becoming one, one physically, one mentally, one spiritually, one financially, become one. And he says, I did that. I brought you together as an illustration of my love. That's your marriage. C.S. Lewis said it this way, marriage is like a ray of sunlight. It hits your face and feels so warm, and then you look up to trace the sunbeam back to its source, the sun. So marriage is like that when, when it, it's going so good, it, it's, I mean, this is so great, but it's pointing to something greater, to the real source of your joy, your hope, your identity, your love, your relationship with Jesus. You see, culture will tell us this, finding love is the ultimate. You need to find your soulmate so, so you can rock the Jerry Maguire quote, right? You complete me, right? I mean, think about how many songs tell us this over and over again in our culture. I grew up in the 80s. If you're, if you're old enough to remember the song by Chicago, I won't sing it, okay? But the lyrics, right? You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration, right? Your mind's going back, right? Like, yeah, rocking the mullet, loving it, right? Nice lyrics, but it doesn't work. We, we weren't created to be completed by the love of another human being. You were created to be completed by the love of Christ. So if you're a lonely, insecure, unhappy single person, and you seek the love of somebody else to try to take care of that, to complete you, you'll become a lonely, insecure, unhappy married person. Because marriage doesn't solve those needs, those pains, those hurts. And so single people, I would say this, look for a guy or a girl whose hope is in Christ first. I have three daughters. I tell them all the same thing. I say this, find a guy who loves Jesus more than he thinks he loves you. That's the key. You know, you're driving on the road and you come up to a bridge and the bridge has that sign where it has like the picture of the truck and the limit that, that the weight that it can hold, Right? And they do that. I don't know how they do that. They just keep driving heavier trucks so it breaks and then rebuild it. I don't get it. But anyway, so they got that sign, right? This is the weight limit of the bridge. I would say the spouses need to kind of have that same sign hanging around their neck that says, will not sustain the weight of your soul. Never meant to. We won't find our hope and our life in the horizontal. Relationships are great. God created us to live in relationship, but our, our ultimate, the whole purpose of marriage is to point us to Christ. It's, it's why both singleness and marriage can be called gifts in Scripture. That you can be gifted with singleness. Why is that a gift? God might have something for you that you can only accomplish as a single person. God might be teaching or growing in you as a single person, growing your heart in a way that can only be grown as a single person. Now listen, if you're single and you desire marriage, that's a good thing. It's, it's a God-given desire in you, but don't believe that being single means you're inferior. I mean, Jesus was single his whole life, and he didn't lack anything. I got married at 28, and, and which for people around me, they thought it was super late. So I'd be at weddings, and every wedding I'd go to, there'd be little old ladies who'd say, don't worry, you're next, right? I felt like going to a funeral and leaning to them, don't worry, you'll be next. But... <laughs> Okay, I never thought that. Even just saying that, I'm like, this is horrible. All right. <laughs> Forgive me, let's move on. Look, John Piper, he says this. He says, marriage is temporary. 
it'll finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointed to all along, which is Christ and the church. God is so fired up about displaying his love to the world, of showing the world his grace. And listen, God's looking to empower marriages all across this room to be able to point to that loving God. God's saying to the world, hey, you want to know how much my son loves you? Look at the marriages you see around you in the church. I mean, think how huge that is. Like whether you choose it or not, your marriage is saying something about the love of God. It's giving a picture to the world about Jesus. So so let me ask you this. What kind of picture is it giving? Is it a, a picture of grace and love and sacrifice and commitment, tender care? But God says this. God says, you want to see the gospel, see it in marriage. So how do we do this? What are the boundaries God sets up for us to have this freedom of seeing that gospel happen? We're going to dig in the next couple of verses as, as it, these verses talk about, hey, hey, husband, here's your boundaries. Here's how you live in a way that displays the gospel. Wives, here's your boundaries. And they are boundaries. They're not going to feel great. They're going to feel constricting. Our culture would say that it's archaic and so old. Listen, just like we are talking talking about in weeks past, the boundaries that God gives us give us ultimate freedom. I don't care what culture says. Culture does not define marriage. God does from the beginning. So here we go. I got a diagram. Let me me show you this. I didn't make this up. I got it from a pastor friend of mine just as a way for us to get a, a bit of a picture on how marriage can work well. And so you see on the one side, you've got the husband, what he's called to by scripture. This is what he's called to. He's called to love, he's called to lead, and he's called to learn. What's learn mean? We're going to see love and lead in the text here. Learn, you get from First Peter where it says to, to live with your wife in an understanding way, to, to get to know who she is so you can love and lead better. So that's our call as husbands. Wives, your call, according to scripture, would be to follow to finish and to fan. What do you mean by that? We're gonna see follow and finish here. This idea of you follow your husband's lead, you finish, meaning you're a helpmate. You're that partner that says, hey, here's where you lack and I fill that up. It's such a sweet role. God in scripture calls himself that helper. That where there is lack, you can come alongside. The word you maybe hear use is complementarian. Where men and women are different, culture wouldn't say that, God's word does, we're different, but we come together in this relationship that complements. So a wife comes alongside and says, I, I, can, I can fill up where you're not filled up. I can finish. And then fan, that just means I want to cheer you on as the leader. I want to I be the one who's your number one cheerleader beside you as you lead. And so what happens is when you're living in this way, as a husband leads and loves and learns, a wife, the, the, the main thing that the, the most wives are looking for is this idea of security. And you bring that as you love and lead and learn and she feels security. And because of that security, she begins to follow and finish and fam. And what that does, it fills the husband's need for significance. Which causes him to say, I can do this. And he loves, you see how that just starts to go like this really well. Now here's the thing, husbands, that's your box. You don't get to look over at her box and go, but she's not, you don't get to do that. God never called you to say, hey, make her do that. No, no, no. And wives, you don't get to look over. I don't want to do it because, because I want to. No, that's your body. That's where you're called to live. That's the boundaries we've been given. And you also see the other two arrows. If only is this circle, it's going to have a hard marriage. But you see, husband, your significance ultimately is found in God. Go there first. Wives, your security is ultimately found in God. You go there first. So, so keep that in mind as we walk through what this text says. So, so verses 25 to 30, that's for you husbands first. Verse 25, and you see this played out here. It says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, this Jesus might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Husband, your call is to love your wives. Now, our culture finds the verses about wives very hard. Right? We're going to get to you, wives. I mean, it's your favorite verse in Scripture. I know, wives, submit to your husbands, right? We're going to get there. And in our culture, that's the struggle piece. That's where, like, when, are you kidding me? In this culture, what Paul laid out, as he's laying this out, when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, in the first century culture, they'd be like, of course. Makes sense. Yes. And then he goes, and husbands, love your wives. They're like, what? That's, their culture would have pressed against this. Like, no, no, no. I make all the decisions. I'm the boss. And Paul goes, no, no, no. Love your wife. Again, listen, culture does not define marriage, does not set the boundaries. God sets these boundaries, and that's the freedom inside those boundaries that we find. And this first boundary, it's a high standard for husbands because it's not just love your wives. What's it say? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What's Jesus' love look like? I mean, Jesus pursues us. He forgives us. He initiates. He didn't wait until you got your act together and then decide to love you and die for you. No, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So for husbands, here's what it means. Regardless of how your wife acts or reacts, your job is to love her, to pursue her, to value her, to chase after her. Like Jesus means this, you lay down your wants, your needs, your stuff to serve and love her. How's it lived out? It says it's lived out by, by sanctifying her, washing her in the water with the word. What's that mean? It means you love her by being the spiritual leader of your house. You set the tone in the house. You bring the gospel to bear on life. It, it means this, to wash her in the word means when she's feeling insecure, you remind her of who she is in Christ. That when she's feeling fearful, you remind her that Jesus is trustworthy. It means this, that you pray for her and with her. And I hear this a lot when I'm talking to married couples that like, man, I just find it hard to pray with my spouse. Guys, here's the easiest way to pray with your wife. Ready? Super plan. Hey, spouse. Don't say that. Say her name. Um, what's some things that I can be praying for you about? And then here's the key. Listen. She's going to list out some things. And here's the best part. You know what you do? Pray those things right there. It's super easy. Go, hey, grab her hands and go, let's pray right now. And pray those things. Pray for her. Listen, men, your families will be most impacted when you are the one leading in family devotions, when you're the one leading the priorities of your home, when you're the one leading in discipline and discipleship. When you love her like you love your own self, Paul says. The way you'd love your own body, you love her. The way you take care of yourself, you do that for her. So, so laying down your life doesn't mean, oh, I would die for my wife. No, it also means this. I'm daily putting my needs below her needs. I'm lifting her up. I'm using whatever power and authority God gives me, it is used to serve her. Again, this is where learn comes in. This is where that verse in 1 Peter comes in. Become an expert at taking care of your wife. Learn her. And you could say, bro, she's not easy to understand. Like, women, I don't get them. I can't figure it out. And listen, I've heard you guys talk about snowmobile engines and investments and sporting teams with, like, crazy detail, right? We can figure out our wives, right? 
And in doing so, it says here that you will nourish them. You'll cherish them. Nourish means provide for physically, spiritually, emotionally. And you do this because you cherish your wife. You protect her. You work your tail off to create the kind of environment where your wife will flourish. You create the kind of environment where where she can become the best version of her that God's created her to be. And, And what happens when you cherish and nourish, it brings security. Psalm 128 talks about you're the gardener of the garden, that, that, that the garden will flourish because of how you're taking care of it. Your wife will flourish. Because here's the deal. Every girl in here was created with this fundamental question deep in their soul that never goes away, and it's this. Am I lovely and am I valuable? It's why my girls, when they're little, they put on dresses and twirl around. Daddy, am I pretty? Guys, your wife is asking that question. She's just asking it this fundamental at soul level, she's asking, am I valuable? Am I lovely? And husbands, husbands, God put you in her life to be the loudest, resounding trumpet, echoing the truth of God that she is everything that Ephesians has been telling us that she is. You are valuable. You are cherished. You're the beloved. She's more valuable than your job. She's more valuable than your friends. She's more valuable than your hobby. She's more valuable than all those things. And so men, when you live this out, it does say in verse 23 that you're the head of the relationship, that you have have leadership in the home. But listen, the crown you wear is first and foremost a crown of thorns. And your leadership to serve her, she's gonna feel security in that kind of love. Right, wives, here comes your verse. I know you've got it all cross-stitched on a pillow somewhere. You just love this, right? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and him is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now notice again, why, why would a wife do this? It says, as to the Lord, as Christ would submit. So you reflect Jesus and how you submit to your husband's leadership. And again, I know it sounds archaic. It sounds weird in our culture. It's the boundaries God's created. And so just as the husband is created to love, even if a wife is not acting super lovable in the moment, wives follow and support and respect, even if your husband's a doughhead sometimes, all right? God's put him in this role and you're, you're giving him this invitation. That's what submission is. You're giving him this invitation. Hey, step into the role God's called you to. Now, before we go on, I, I want to quickly share what this verse is not. It can be abused. This verse is not submitting to a husband who's calling you to ungodliness. This is where the church steps in to protect. It's, it's not submitting to a husband who's abusive. We get the authorities involved when that's happening. It also says this, wives submit to your own husbands. This is not women submit to all men kind of deal, right? So if guys, if your boss is a woman, don't go busting out this verse. Hey, wait a minute, right? It does not apply, right? Now, here's the other part I want you to notice as husbands, this is her verse. This is not a verse for husbands to wield. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way in his commentary on Ephesians, men, you shouldn't quote this verse at your wife. It's hers to obey, not yours to demand. If she's not doing it, all you can do, other than maybe leaving the Bible open to Ephesians 5 on the nightstand every night, that would help, right? Highlighted, 
<laughs> he says, all, all you can do is try to be the kind of leader it would be a joy to submit to. Play your role and trust God with her. Wives, as you do this, you're adding traction to this wheel. Every single man in here, whether you're, you're eight or 80 or anywhere in between, no matter how big and successful you are, men have this fundamental question at their soul level that they're asking, and they're asking this, do I have what it takes? Now, here's the thing. Every man knows the fundamental answer to that question is, nope, not really. Like, like guys, when they're, when they're little kids, it's the, them trying to prove themselves to their dad. That's why we played sports or, or did, strived in school. And then what happens? We're doing this as kids, and all of a sudden, this beautiful girl comes along. She smells so nice. She looks so nice. And what do we do? We now try to impress you to prove to you that we have what it takes. And so guys, guys who got the affirmation already had, had dads or teachers or mentors in their life who gave them that affirmation, they'd more naturally become spiritual leaders. But a lot of guys didn't though. And so they doubt they have it. And, and you can call him up into that by saying, you lead. Your submission actually creates this vacuum that serves as an invitation for your husband to lead and love well. And when he does, you can encourage him. And that's why I love him a man. I love him a man who leads. And watch him come alive. Listen, the Bible tells us that when we submit our lives to Christ, that divine power has been given to us for everything we need for life and godliness. But husbands will have a hard time believing that. And then God places you in our lives. Wives, you're placed in a husband's life to be the loudest voice in the entire earth, to, to echo to compliment what God says about us, that you do have what it takes to do what God called you to do. And what God's called every husband in this room to do is to be the head of the family. And wives, you can either tear out that foundation underneath him or, or with your words and actions, you can fan it into flame. Now, let, let me encourage you this way, wives. Don't reject what this says because of what you've seen maybe warped that you've seen it not lived out in a godly way. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says this, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitted to her godly husband creates a relationship the world would never look at and say, how disgusting and archaic. A lot of people who say they're turned off by the Christian teaching on marriage are attracted to the Christian marriages they see. As the worst team comes up, as we end off this morning, verse 33 says this, Paul wraps it all up again in verse 33. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he calls him again. Husbands, love your wife and live out the gospel answer to her sole question, am I valuable? Live that out. Answer that question for her. Wives, Respect your husband so, so that you live out the gospel in the marriage where you're answering his soul question that says, do I have what it takes? And, and when the two of you start to conduct your marriage in this way, you, you're gonna find, I promise you, you're gonna find deeper joy. So husbands, I would say your response to this would be pray. Start to pray. Lord, how can I love my wife and serve my wife this week? Wives, that you would pray, how can I help and support and build up my husband this week? Pray for each other, encourage each other, speak truth and love into each other. But listen, all of this 
all of this submission and, and sacrificial love and, and displaying the gospel, this is not happening outside of the grace of God. If you don't feel overwhelmed by what you've been called to as a wife in Ephesians 5, you've probably missed it. If you don't feel overwhelmed as a husband by what you're called to in Ephesians 5, you've probably missed it. The call here should, should have this overwhelming feeling and overwhelming us to the point of what? To drop to our knees saying, Lord, I need you. And I know that even preaching this message, there are some of you who are, who are challenged by it. Some of you who are encouraged by it because you're living in marriages like this. Some of you are like, man, I gotta make some changes. And there's some in this room right now that this is a hard message to hear because you say, my marriage doesn't look like this. It's so hard to live this out. Let it bring you to your knees even this morning saying, Jesus, I need you to live out what you've called me to, to live in the boundaries that you've called me to live out. Because I would say this, the quality of the horizontal relationship will always be according to your vertical relationship. Any disruption here horizontally comes from here. Any disruption you have between you and the Lord causes chaos horizontally. But the good news is this, when you get this right, God takes care of the rest. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we need you so much. Jesus, we need you to do a work that only you can do. And so in this moment, as we, as we pray, as we worship, I pray, Lord Jesus, the gospel that you so clearly lay out for us, I pray that it would be spoken over this room. I pray that your spirit would be at work in hearts and lives. I pray that where there are marriages that are struggling, Lord God, that you would step in with grace. I pray that you'd speak loudly to, to husbands who aren't loved, to wives who are not following. God, and you would call us to, to come within these boundaries you lay out for us. Lord, where it's damaging, where it's difficult, where past sin has just seemed to pile up, God, I'm so thankful that your grace can deal with even that. And your spirit can empower for what can happen today. And you can begin to make a change. God, we know we can't do that on our own. And so, so Lord God, I pray that you would, even now, that your spirit would begin to do a work. I pray this in Jesus' name.